previously on Space Train, when Doug and the cadets stopped by the Academy to drop off Fusick, Doug noticed how much the Academy was growing. It was now filled with gifted students from all over the universe. During their visit, the cadets were called on a special mission to use the connector to help a polluted planet in distress. The connector combined their ideas and powers until they came up with a solution that materialized light years away. The cadets also practiced in the battle simulator and saw a broadcast of their fight with the robot. The footage made Doug look especially heroic, and all the other students praised the mind builder. Doug wasn't sure how he felt about all this new attention. And now for season two, episode eight. It is red. The Purple Rocket Podcast presents Space Train. It's time to be the hero. The space train rattled as it curved around a misty ice tornado swirling through space. As it passed, the turbulence made Doug's glass of water shake on the table of the Cosmic Cafe. He and the other cadets didn't even seem to notice. They were used to this sort of thing now. They'd passed at least five space tornadoes in the last hour alone. Basically, if the alarms weren't blaring, it was nothing to worry about. The giant swirl of ice and dust passed by the Cosmic Cafe windows just beyond the cadets' table. Doug was scrolling through the list of potential students on a tablet, while Lydia, Dallas, and Leo shared a space train-shaped banana split. It was a new creation from the head chef bot, who was bouncing next to their table, anxiously awaiting their feedback. Dallas smacked his lips. If I'm being honest... It's a little heavy on the pineapple sauce. I think it could use more chocolate and nuts. The chef bot feverishly took notes. Don't be ridiculous, Lydia said. The pineapple is just right, and there's more than enough chocolate sauce and nuts. Any more and you wouldn't be able to taste the ice cream or banana? She smiled at the chef bot and gave it a thumbs up. It's perfect, thank you. Leo agreed nodding and shoving his face with another yummy bite. Mm-hmm. Mm. He spilled a little on his long yellow jacket. Where'd you get that? Doug asked, looking it over. Did Mixon give that to you? Leo shook his head and then pointed to himself and gestured sewing. You made it? Lydia said. Wow, that's impressive. Leo gave a slight bow and continued to dig into the banana split. Lydia turned to Doug and offered him a spoon. You're not going to try it? I'm good, thanks. 
He went back to scrolling on his tablet, just trying to see who we have left to pick up. A chef bot wearing a big curly wig with a bow rolled over on her one wheel. Excuse me, Captain. Another batch of fan mail has been delivered. She set the stack of letters and boxes down on the table with a thud. Doug stared over the top of it. You've got to be kidding me. Lydia laughed. That's the third batch this week. Look at you, Mr. Popular. Back in my prime, I had like seven, maybe eight, Dallas said, looking away and flexing his folded arms. Leo smiled and shook his head. Thanks, Doug told the chef bot. Can you set them in the storage car, please? Hold on. Lydia put her hand on top of the stack before the robot could take it away. You aren't going to read these? Dallas looked at him like he was crazy. I don't have time, Doug said. I barely got through half the first stack. It'll take me days to read all this. Fine, then we'll help you, Lydia said with a smirk. She took the first envelope off the top and started to open it. Oh, please don't. Let's see here. Ooh, a handwritten letter and, oh, look, a little plush toy to go with it. She tossed the ball of green fur at Doug. Doug felt so embarrassed he wanted to crawl under the table and hide. Oh my word, don't read it. Well, I can't. It's in an alien dialect. Here, let me see that tablet. Doug shook his head and smiled. No way. Lydia quickly snatched the tablet out of his hands and held it over the letter. As she did, the tablet translated the alien language into English, and she began reading aloud. Dear Magnificent Mind Builder. Ooh, they called you Magnificent. <laughs> Doesn't say buff, Dallas mumbled. I am amazed with your ability to build with your mind. I saw your broadcast from my homeworld, Glackerbomb. Glackerbomb? She looked at Leo to see if she pronounced that correctly, and he nodded. She continued, You are my hero, my inspiration, my true love. He doesn't say that. Laughing, Doug grabbed the note and held the tablet over it. Oh man, it does say that. Lydia laughed. Looks like I have some competition. Doug felt his heart jump a little. Competition? Did that mean what he thought it meant? He caught a glance from Leo who was bouncing his eyebrows at him. Dallas just rolled his eyes. Lydia smiled. Is that all? Uh, um, uh, no. Uh, it also says, I have included a lock of my hair from one of my six feet. They all stared down in disgust at the ball of green fur in Doug's hand. Oh, nasty! He threw it at the window and it stuck before crawling away like a caterpillar. That's enough mail for one day, Doug said, wiping his hand on his shirt and pushing the stack to the end of the table so that the chef bot could take it away. Before it was gone, Leo took a treat package off the top and gestured a question if he could have it. Knock yourself out. Leo waved the treat triumphantly and bit into it. While the others talked, Dallas quietly called one of the other chef bots over and whispered to it. Hey, hey, dude, over here. Any mail for me? 
I am afraid not, the robot replied. Are you awaiting a specific package? We can track it through our mail scanner. I can also put out an intercom announcement to see if anyone has seen... No, 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 Dallas said a little quieter. I'm good, thanks. Just wondering. The chef bot nodded and rolled away. Dallas sighed as he watched Doug's stack of mail go. Cadets? Came Goro's voice over the intercom. Once you are done with your space train banana split, please join me in the cockpit. The cadets looked at each other. Leo pointed to the dessert, then back up at the intercom and gestured a question. Yeah, how does he know what we're eating? Lydia said. I'm watching you, Goro's voice said in a menacing tone. Kidding, sort of. I can connect to all robots aboard and see what they're seeing. One of the few perks of being a robot. You get to taste things like ice cream. I get to see through other robots. Please, do eat quickly and meet me in the cockpit. Minutes later, the cadets finished off the space train banana split and headed up to the cockpit where Goro was waiting for them. We have just received a distress call, he told them. But... But what, Doug said. We never turned down a call for help. True, but this call came from someone on our list. Lydia shrugged. All the more reason to go pick them up, right? Gorman, we're not seeing the issue here, Dallas added. The issue is, the gifted kids on our list do not know they are on our list. The odds that one of them would reach out to us is very suspicious. It leads me to believe that it could be a trap set by someone else who has a copy of our list. The Rocket Man, Doug mumbled. Precisely. That being said, I cannot know for sure and the distress codes do appear to be accurate. It is your call to make, Captain. But I wanted you to be aware of the circumstances before you made your decision. I appreciate it, Doug said. He thought for a long moment. If they didn't answer the distress call, they could be abandoning someone in desperate need of their help. If it was really a trap and the rocket man is waiting for them with his fist spots, then he'd be putting his team and the whole train in danger, including Blobby's royal family that was aboard. Then again, they had fought the rocket man off before, but was it worth the risk? Everything they did had some element of risk and danger. Where's Bliberta and their family? he asked. Goro sighed. Ah, they are in the theater car, watching the film Flubber for the 400th time. Have them lock themselves in the caboose and prepare to eject it from the train in case we're attacked. Affirmative. Does that mean... Lydia checked. Doug nodded. We're going in. Goro and Leo set course for the distress signal. Eventually, it led them to a small gray planet that filled the cockpit window. Welcome to Arthorn, Goro said. The record-keeping planet. All records for the surrounding three galaxies are stored on this floating sphere. Almost all of it is dedicated to keeping and protecting said records. Our target student is a boy by the name of Etho. He is a reader. Dallas snorted. <laughs> Aren't we all? Jeez, we've really lowered the bar, Goro. Not that kind of reader. 
He reads by the sense of touch. One touch of a record, a book, a tablet, a single grasp of a scroll, and he has it memorized. It is an extraordinarily rare gift. As you can imagine, he is very valuable on his planet. I'm sure they will not give him up easily, but for the good of the universe, we need him. Again, I cannot know for certain if Etho sent the signal himself, so please exercise extreme caution. Where do we find him? Doug asked. He said he is seeking shelter in the Library of Youth. I will scan the atmosphere for any sign of the Rocketman's fish ship, and if the coast is clear, I will drop you off in a nearby plaza. The wanderers headed to the exit bay and suited up while Goro started their descent. Goro told them that the air on Arthon was safe to breathe, so they left their head bubbles down. Doug could feel the ground of the exit bay vibrate through his boots as they landed. The exit bay door opened with a hiss. Lydia, you keep an eye on her right. Leo, you scan the left. Dallas, you take the back and I'll watch the front. Why do I have to take the back? What? Nothing, your highness. Doug shook his head and stepped off the space train into the plaza. It was a diamond-shaped plaza made of stone pavers. Carvings of books swirled towards its center, leading to a giant carving of a book with three suns on it. Surrounding the plaza were enormous cathedrals, beautiful, old, and incredibly tall. Most had tall windows and towers, ball-tipped spires, and intricately carved pillars and archways. Almost everywhere you turned, the carving of the book with the three suns was found. Only a handful of Arthonians strolled through the plaza. They wore robes over their smooth, turquoise skin. Three forehead dots marked their bald heads. To Doug, they looked sort of like monks. The frightened people scattered as soon as Doug and his crew stepped out. Oh, I hate it when they run like that, Dallas said. Looks like you won't be finding any of your fan clubs here, Capitan. Doug pointed behind him. Are you keeping an eye on her back? I got it, I got it. I'm not sure which one of these is the Library of Youth, Doug said. Goro, do you know which one of these buildings is the one? The signal was sent from the plaza, Captain, Goro said through their earpieces. I am not sure which building it is, but if you will give me a few minutes, I can scrub my database and find out. No worries, we'll figure it out. Let's stick together. I don't want to split up and have one of us get ambushed. We'll start with this one over here. Goro, can you keep an eye on the skies for us? Will do, Captain. Doug led them to the domed cathedral straight ahead. As soon as they passed through its huge circular door, they found themselves in an enormous library. Marble bookshelves stretched up every wall and up through the dome itself. Even the tall pillars were actually bookshelves. There was only one problem. There were no books on the shelves. Furthermore, it was almost completely void of anything except for a few remaining books half destroyed. The cadets noticed a lone Arthonian child sifting through the layer of scattered pages on the floor, adding to the collection under its arm. Etho? Doug hesitantly asked. The turquoise-skinned child jumped at the noise and quickly ran down the hall. Guess that wasn't him, Doug said after a long silence. He led the way to the next cathedral library. This one was very narrow with many towers. 
It too was full of empty bookshelves and scattered pages. No luck there. Confused, they headed to the next library, then the next, making their way around the plaza. Only a couple buildings had Arthonians in them, but the few they found immediately fled the moment they set foot inside. Each time they took off, Doug would yell, Etho! after them, but no reaction. He hoped whoever this Etho was, he would be braver than the rest of the Arthonians they'd encountered so far. When they reached the second to the last library near the plaza, Leo noticed a light on in one of the windows. Hopeful, they ran into the building and started looking. The room with the light proved difficult to find, however. This library was full of winding stone staircases that doubled as bookshelves, making it a confusing mess of twists and turns. Doug noticed that the paintings on the walls depicted Arthonian children, playing, reading, and working. This has to be the place, he said, pointing to the paintings. The Library of Youth? Every picture has kids in it. That would explain why so many of these pages have pictures on them, Lydia said, crouching down to scoop up some of the scattered pages on the ground. She was right. Nearly all of them had an image of some kind, and the alien script was considerably larger than the other pages they'd seen. Leo made a quiet hissing noise at them to get their attention. They all looked to see him pointing at a tall, pointy door at the end of the hall. A warm light flickered under it. Doug nodded to him and led the way down the hall to the door, being sure to keep quiet. As they approached, they could hear a voice talking quietly behind the door. Dallas pulled out his blaster, but Doug silently told him to put it away. <clears throat> Dallas reluctantly obeyed. The voice beyond the door was getting louder. He was speaking an alien dialect Doug had never heard before. Doug grabbed onto the door handle and held up his other hand to count down. Three, two, whoosh! The door swung open, and there, kneeling on the other side, was an Arthonian boy. Turquoise, bald, and tall. Each of his hands were on a book on the floor. His eyes were glowing green. He jumped to his feet as soon as they rushed into the room. Don't be afraid, Doug said. We're friends. The boy hesitated. The glow in his eyes dimmed. He glanced at a clunky little robot that hovered in the air next to him and then back at the cadets. Friends. I have no friends. You do now, Lydia told him. I'm Lydia. This is Doug, Dallas, and Leo. You must be Etho. She stepped forward and extended a hand. The boy didn't take it. Did... did he send you? The cadets looked at each other. No one sent us, Doug said, stepping up next to Lydia. We received a distress signal from you. It said to pick you up from the Library of Youth, so here we are. Etho looked around in a panic. I did not send a distress signal. I do not know who you are. Here we go, Dallas rolled his eyes. Get ready, it's a trap. He pulled out his blaster and cracked his neck. Etho looked down at the blaster and stepped back, startled. His rickety little hoverbot floated in front of him defensively. You have set a trap? What do you want with me? We didn't set a trap, Doug said. We think someone sent out a fake distress signal to get us to come here so they can attack us. Etho shook his head. Uh, I don't understand. Am 
I in danger? Why would someone use me to trap you? Lydia looked out the window. Because they knew we were hoping to recruit you for our academy. So they pretended to be you in order to lure us here. I'm so confused. Please, leave me to my work. Listen, Etho. Doug held up his hands. We really are friends. We're here to help. But we don't have much time. I'll be quick. We are part of a team that is recruiting gifted students to join our academy. It's a school where we learn how to help those in need throughout the universe. Etho stopped him. I'm going nowhere. I know nothing of this academy. My work is here. I am needed here. What are you working on? Lydia asked. Look around. What do you see? A lot of empty libraries, Dallas said. Exactly. Just months ago, these were full of books and ancient records that were sacred to the neighboring worlds. They entrusted them to us, and we have failed to protect them. Doug looked at all the scattered pages on the floor. Who did this? I don't know his name, but he is a cruel conqueror who continues to send his bandits down to our planet to steal our books and leave us with nothing. He has stripped us of our honor. The cadets all looked at each other. They didn't need to say anything to know what everyone was thinking. The Rocket Man. Did he send down robots in the shape of fists? Doug asked. Does he wear this really big chest plate? I have not seen him nor these robots you speak of. The bandits who come here are human. They wear a blank pearl mask and come and go without saying a word. But they are armed. Arthonians avoid violence at all costs. It was our atmosphere shield that protected us. But when that went down and we heard his voice, the robbers came. That's terrible, Lydia said. I'm so sorry. What is it you are working on? Doug asked. I am saving whatever records I can. Most of these books were brought here before we had the capability to upload them to a virtual database. We were in the process of doing so before we were attacked. But there were millions upon millions of records. I am reading what I can in my record bot is digitizing my readings and uploading them to a virtual library. So it's true, Dallas said. You're a reader? Do you have any favorites? Echo tilted his head. Books, you know, favorite books. You know, Where's Waldo, I Spy, Captain Underpants. There was an awkward silence before Etho finally answered. I love the poems of Rathrin's Cries from the Battlement Keep 5, Volumes 3 through 6. <clears throat> Dallas swallowed. S sounds interesting. Can you show us how it's done? Lydia asked. Lydia, we don't have time to... Doug was stopped mid-sentence. I want to see it too, Dallas added. Leo nodded in agreement. Etho sighed. Hand me one of those books over there. Lydia ran over and grabbed one of the few books left in the room. It was huge and dusty. Etho gestured for her to set it on the floor, which she did. Then, Etho took a deep breath, looked up towards the ceiling, and slowly set his turquoise hand upon the book's cover. 
His eyes started to glow green and move from side to side, as if he were reading something on the ceiling. After a few more seconds, his hand lifted off the book and his eyes dimmed as they slowly looked back down at the cadets, who were anxiously waiting for him to say something. It is red. Doug felt a chill go down his spine. <laughs> nah, Dallas laughed. Dude, there's no way. That took you like two seconds. Let me see that thing, bro. He took the book and opened it to a random page. Okay, smarty pants. What does it say on page 3742, paragraph two? Dallas smirked. Ethos squinted at him. You said your school was for gifted students? Curious. What could this one's gift be? Certainly not something of the mind. Dallas turned red. Dude, what is that supposed to mean? And the fire fell from the mountaintops, Etho interrupted, and bathed the land in death and destruction. The people fled for their lives and wept for those they lost. Never had Nemon seen such devastation in all its years. When the flames turned to smoke, only blackness remained. Blackness to mark the end of their civilization. Blackness to mark the darkest day of their history. Blackness to shadow their minds, hopes, and dreams. Dallas slowly looked down at the open book and swallowed. Etho had recited the paragraph word for word. Dallas closed the book and handed it back. If you touched my head... Would you be able to read my mind? If I were to touch your head, all I would get is a greasy hand. Dallas pointed at him and smiled. Yeah, but it smelled really good. Seabreeze hair gel, baby. Seabreeze hair gel. Lydia leaned over to Doug. He could read your whole stack of fan mail with one touch. <laughs> or your diaries, Doug shot back. Etho looked at them. I believe you said you were leaving. Doug looked disappointed. Are you sure you don't want to come? The Academy is a safe place with more resources. We could send bots on reconnaissance missions to bring back books for you to read. They will all be gone before then. I am the only reader left on my planet. I must protect whatever records I can. When the Conqueror eventually finds me... I'll be able to meet my end knowing I did my duty. He must know where you are already, Doug said. The distress signal told us where you were hiding. All the more reason for me to hurry my work, Etho insisted. Please come, Lydia pleaded. I cannot, but I wish you well in your journey. I hope you escape whatever trap it is you speak of. The trap? Doug had almost forgotten. If you ever change your mind, just send out a distress beacon for the space train and say something about Dallas's ocean mist hair gel so we know it's you. It's Seabreeze hair gel, bro. Let's go, Doug said. As they turned to leave, they heard the sound of loud engines outside. What's that? Lydia said, looking out the window. More bandits, Etho whispered. Lights. His little record bot turned off his light and the room went dark. They're here for more books. Or us, Doug said. 
He and his team peeked out the window and watched as three bandits flew into the plaza on torpedo-shaped flying bikes. Just as Etho had said, they wore a pearly white mask with no features, half hidden by gray cloaks. They rushed into one of the cathedrals, and immediately the sounds of smashing glass and items breaking filled the streets. Arthonians fled. A minute later, smash! A stained glass window blew to pieces, and the bandits jumped out of the library, each holding some sort of plasma freeze ray that held a large bundle of books captive in a floating blue cloud. The frozen books followed wherever their freeze ray pointed. Without a word or laugh or a shout of any kind, they rushed back to their torpedo bikes and hopped on. Lydia, Doug whispered. Lydia closed her eyes and tried to force a vision. I've got something. They're... They're flying up towards the sky. We're following them. Doug pulled out his blaster. Let's go. They ran down the winding stone stairs and burst out into the plaza, just in time to see the bandits blast off into the sky. Jetpacks! Doug shouted. The cadets pressed a small button on the wrists of their suits and a joystick popped out into each hand. A jetpack bulged out their backs and hummed to life. Their head bubbles closed over their heads. They pressed their joystick buttons and blasted off after the bandits. Etho and his record bot watched them fly out of the plaza from the tower window. Goro, we're going up, Doug shouted into his headset. Bring the space train around and follow us for pickup. On my way, came Goro's voice. The libraries grew smaller and smaller as they soared high above the city. Smoky jet streams trailed down behind them to the ground below. The space train soon zipped over the buildings and followed them up into the sky. We're gonna blow up their rocket bikes? Came Dallas's voice over the headset. Not if we can help it, Doug said. Let's see if we can stop them first. We don't know anything about them. I'll try to get their attention. The rocket bikes above them were getting closer. Doug could make out the bandits' cloaks whipping in the wind. They were flying towards space. Where were they going? Doug wondered. He saw no mothership waiting beyond the atmosphere. He pressed a second button, and the booster fired up. His jetpack shot up with another burst of juice. The other cadets followed his lead. Doug pulled out his blaster and set it to flare gun. He fired a flare just over the bandits' heads. Startled, they looked back and hit their boosters, rocketing up towards space with incredible speed. Well, that didn't work, Dallas said. Clearly they're not fans of fireworks. Can we blast them now? They're getting away. Hold your fire, Doug shouted. Let's see where they go. Boosters! They hit their boosters again and rocketed up towards space. From afar, three pill-shaped rocket bikes could be seen streaking through the hazy curvature of the planet towards the starry beyond, followed by four little jetpack-propelled dots and a long silver space train. Doug felt the weight of the atmosphere lift as they broke through it and reached space. He felt the extra speed from his jetpack, the nimbleness of his weightless turns. He was gaining on the bikes. They were so close. But why? Why were they gaining on them so easily? Could their jetpacks possibly be that much faster than those rocket bikes? No, they were slowing. They were coming to a stop. There was something up ahead coming into view. It was small, 
A glass cube with a wraparound glass porch floating in space. What in the world is that? Came Lydia's voice over Doug's headset. Hang back and set your blaster to stun, Doug told them. If they wanted to fight, they would have fired on us already. Maybe this is their rendezvous point. They stopped and watched as the three bandits parked their hovering rocket bikes next to the glass porch. One of them took a captured book from his bike and stepped off. A handful of guards were patrolling the wraparound porch, and they didn't look happy when the bandits arrived. They tried to wave them away, but the bandit with the book ran over to a slit in the glass cube and dropped it inside. Before the guard could grab him, he ran back to his rocket bike, hopped on, and flew away with the other bandits. As they disappeared into the darkness of space, Doug led the cadets up to the glass cube. Their jetpack slowly lowered them onto the wraparound glass porch, where they set their boots to suction so they could walk on it. The gray planet glowed bright miles below them. Put your blasters away, Doug ordered, raising his hands in surrender. The cadets did as he said, and they too raised their hands. We mean no harm, Doug said to the guards as they came running over. Doug could see now that they were Arthonians. Their turquoise bald heads were marked with the three suns inside their spacesuit head bubbles. When they saw that the cadets were surrendering, they lowered their weapons. We're here to help, Doug said. We were following those bandits to see where they were taking the stolen books. Saw them stop here. The guard in front of Doug slowly looked down through the transparent walkway and noticed the space train hovering just 50 feet below. He grew scared and raised his weapon again. The other guards did the same. No, 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 we're here to help, Doug said, emphasizing his raised hands. We came to help Etho. Do you know who is stealing all these books? The guard glared between them and the space train a few more times, until finally he nodded to the cube next to them. Him, he said in a deep, angry voice. Doug and the cadets slowly turned to face the glass cube. It was a small, transparent room with nothing but a bed and a prisoner, sitting in a tall wingback wheelchair with its back to them. Doug looked back at the guard, checking to make sure he was understanding him correctly. This is the person stealing all the books? The guard nodded. Stealing is an awfully negative word, came an eerily familiar voice. The prisoner turned and rolled his wheelchair over to them. An old hand reached down and picked up the book that had been dropped off. It raised the book up to his face the face of an older man. He had thin, greasy, slicked-back hair and a long scar that streaked down through his mouth and stopped at his chin. Doug's throat tightened. He stared in disbelief. The doctor looked over his book and smiled at them. Ah, Robinson Crusoe. A classic. Would you like me to read it to you? Cadets?
Rocketeers. I hope you enjoyed that episode of Space Train. You might need to go back and listen to the very end of season one of Space Train and see if what just happened is possible. <laughs> That was a terrible maniacal laugh. But yes, go back and listen to it. I want to give some shout-outs. First of all, to some special patrons, five-year-old Jacob and seven-year-old Caleb from West Dundee, Illinois. I hear you guys really like Space Train. Caleb and Jacob, I hope you are digging this season. Thank you so much for your support, for listening to the show, Jacob and Caleb, and your mom, Jessica. You guys are awesome. I also want to thank Cole and his mom, Ashley, who are listening from Anaheim, California. Ashley shared this feedback. She said, my son and I started listening to your podcast at the beginning of the school year. We have a long commute and typically get through one to two episodes a day. We started with Camp Dino, got hooked, and now have listened to every single series completely through. I think we just have a few life episodes left and we have listened to every one. We don't know what to do because we aren't used to waiting. It's so tough. <laughs> Thank you for giving something for my son and I to bond over during our commute. We are constantly referencing the stories, looking at the clock at 4 o'clock and more. We love PRP. Oh, thank you so much, Ashley. Thank you so much, Cole. You guys are amazing. Thank you so much for the feedback. I love it. I'm going to read this Apple review. This is Prince Belak, also known as Caleb. And he says, my favorites are Space Train, Grandpa's Globe, and Camp Dino. I want more episodes of Camp Dino, please. I really like Blobby, and my dad really likes to make the globe sound. <laughs> that is awesome. Oh, I want to hear your dad's version of the globe sound. We should just make that our thing, Rocketeers. Can we all just, if, if I ever run into a Rocketeer somewhere out there, if that ever happens... We need, I just need you to just make that globe sound. The we don't even need to say anything to each other. We just come, like maybe we're at Disneyland or something, and I see somebody wearing like a PRP shirt, and I'm wearing a PRP shirt, and all of a sudden we look at each other, we walk up to each other and just look at each other in each other's eyes and just go at the same time. And then we just walk away, and we just walk away from each other. We don't even have to say anything. We've bonded through that globe sound. <laughs> Oh my gosh. You know, so funny about that globe sound effect. When I first started Grandpa's Globe, I put that into like the first or second episode with the intention of editing it out and putting some cool like magical swirling sound effect of the kids sucking into the globe. And I just listened to it and I was like, oh man, I can't, I can't find a sound that sounds cool enough to be put here. So I'm going to leave this crazy sound effect with my mouth and whatever. I'm just going to, as long as I'm consistent, I'm just going to keep doing this. And apparently some of you kind of enjoy it. Some of you might fast forward it and might drive you crazy, but guess what? That's what I think of that. Rocketeers, thank you so much for listening. Patrons, those who are supporting the show, thank you, thank you, thank you. This it means the world to me that you guys are helping out and helping cover the cost of the editing. It makes, it makes a big difference. So if you want to help support the show, go to patreon.com slash Podcast. You can get ad-free episodes, original bedtime stories that you don't get on the podcast, um, some other bells and whistles there too. So 
check it out, patreon.com, and please just share your feedback. Go to Spotify, go to Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcast, leave a five-star review, leave your feedback there, or send your feedback to the Facebook page, to my email at purplerocketpodcast at gmail.com. I love hearing your stories. Hearing that you guys, parents and kids, are bonding over these stories is the biggest reward of all doing the show. I love it. I love it. I love it. So thank you so much for sharing your experiences and thank you for taking the time to listen together and having fun and taking a break from the screen to engage your imaginations. It's great. I love it. Thank you so much, Rocketeers. Be sure to tune in next time. This is your host, Greg Webb.